Hello and welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Always a pleasure to talk traffic, streets, roads, bridges, etc. I am fighting a little throat thing, so we'll, we'll see if it uh, affects me here today. I, I do have the lozenges and uh, some warm water here to help me out. And today is a special episode for many reasons. The first reason, it's because we are celebrating number 150. Yay! Hey, 150, do you believe that? We did it. We did it. 150 episodes in the book, just over three years old. I think it's pretty remarkable. Um, the downloads are still growing, so that's encouraging. This month, we actually had the highest international downloads from Canada. Uh, so we're huge in Canada. Great to hear. We also had a bunch from Germany, Spain, the UK, India, Argentina, and Nicaragua. So they're looking for this kind of transportation information in Nicaragua, which is surprising, don't you think? Hey, man, we are global. So welcome to all of you international listeners. We appreciate all of you. Uh, have you ever registered a car and then days later you get spam mail asking you, if you want to buy an extended warranty or where to get good car insurance. I, the spam mail and the spam phone calls, yes, sir. See? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, that happened to me when I registered my car. I can't stand it. I'm, I, I actually, after I registered our, our, our newest car, I, I get it was just a, even a couple of days later. I'm getting these, these letters saying, hey, you can get this extended warranty. How are you getting my information? I just registered my car. How is this happening so fast? <laughs> well... There, there is there is a easy explanation for all of this, and it's going to make you really, really, really mad. It's actually, to me, a disturbing story. But before I get to the meat of the story, I have to tell you the story behind the story. So let me first say, there's a first time for everything. And, and for the first time in the history of our podcast, as I said, three plus years, we, we already in the can, 149 episodes, this being 150 we, we have had now something that, is, that has never happened to the show before, ever. We have been turned down for an interview request. <laughs> we did it. We did it, finally. If that was one of our goals, we have hit our goal. In the past, we have been turned down for interview requests for, for like mostly scheduling issues, right? Like, the acting administrator for the Federal Transit Authority, uh, she was in town yesterday with a bunch of other folks for some dog and pony show about giving us money for buses. And and I I reached out to them to to get them on the show, and they said that she was traveling today, this morning, during our our program, so she couldn't come on. And I I said, well, maybe we can get her in in future weeks, so... Right. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, but she said that if I showed up out there at this whatever press conference that I, I wasn't able to get to, uh, I, I could have interviewed her out there for the show. Mm. That's why I don't have the interview with her, the Miss Transit Authority person. Uh, but I understand that. I understand when there's a scheduling conflict with some big muckety-muck, right? But this interview request that I'm speaking of, that was denied, We were denied, apparently, because they didn't think our show was a big enough deal. (laughs) 
I mean, we've had reporters and anchors and columnists and authors and newspaper people and newsmakers and professors and innovators and politicians and policymakers. We've had a lot of interesting people, highfalutin people, smart people, like big deal people on this little program. I'm proud of that. Yes. I'm proud of what we've accomplished so far and all the people that we've interviewed here on the show. I mean, there's been some great interviews, some people that are, are, are big deals. But there's one person who will not be appearing on this show, and, and it's a little disappointing. And it's article author Joseph Cox of Vice.com. Mm. So I'm still going to talk about this story because I think it is really interesting and it's worth talking about. Uh, so interesting that, that I thought it was worth bringing the author of this story on to further explain what was going on, how he came across the information. I wanted more in-depth into this story, as as we like to do here, Uh, and that's why I was interested in doing this interview. So the the story is is about how the Department of Motor Vehicles in California, as well as other DMVs across the country, but the one in California is being paid millions of dollars in return for your personal information. The, The Department of Motor Vehicles... There in California, I mean, we're talking over $50 million Mm. is being collected by the state of California to sell your personal information. That's how you're getting these spam calls and letters and uh, junk mail right to your house after you register your car because they're selling your information. So that is an interview we wanted to do here on the show. It's great. I mean, that's a great topic to talk about, isn't it? I would think so, yeah. So I contacted the author via email. I usually do that. His email was on the story. So I sent him an email, and and I asked if he would if we'd be on the show. So then I get a reply back from somebody named Andrew Lone, who says he handles the press bookings for people who write for Vice.com. And that's where the article appeared. Mm-hmm. Talked about mm-hmm. it was on Vice and Motherboard. I guess Motherboard owned by Vice. Anyway. So Andrew asked uh, Andrew asked me in his email if I could send him like a one sheet or some information about our little podcast and, and the reach mm-hmm. of our show. Mm-hmm. So I wrote him back. I told him that we're a transportation-related podcast, and this is a perfect story for our audience who would really benefit from this information. Uh, and we have a good reach. We're not as big as Adam Carolla or Joe Rogan, obviously, but we, we do okay. So this is his reply. Hey, Jason, appreciate the offer, but we'll have to politely pass on this one. Feel free to reach out directly for any future requests. All the best, Andrew. Politely pass on this one? That, that is, well, at least it was polite. Are you serious? Politely pass on this one? Even if we had five listeners, it's worth doing the interview, uh, especially for a TV station. Oh, look, I'm not a big deal. I don't think I'm a big deal, but we're a TV station. And typically TV station news anchors are perceived as a pretty big deal. I'm not Ron Burgundy, but I would think somebody would want to be on the show to talk to a TV person because then there's a pretty good chance that your story might be on the television, which has a pretty good reach. Obviously, more reach than what we do here on the podcast. You would think that, right? Wouldn't you think that any coverage helps you? Connections. Any clicks on a story like that would help you? 
But apparently the clicks that we would send to their web story aren't good enough for them. So they passed. I don't know. Maybe it's time we just hang it up. Do you think? <laughs> Put down maybe this should be, maybe 150 should be the last podcast. Uh, maybe if we had 25,000 downloads a month, uh, he would have come on the show. I mean, when we first started this thing, I was happy if 10 people were listening. Obviously, we have way more than 10 people listening to the show, and I'm pretty proud about that and what we've accomplished over the last three and a half or three plus years. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not one of the top 10 podcasts in the country. It's a lot of competition out there. I think we're doing pretty good. I know we're going to be in the top, at least top three of transportation-related podcasts in the country. I think we'll pass on this one seriously. I mean, this guy. Who is this guy? All right, now that you know the story behind the story, I see you don't want to jump in on any of this. No, sir. No, sir. The California Department of Motor Vehicles is generating revenue of $50 million a year by selling drivers' personal information. Now, this accusation comes from a DMV document that was obtained by the website Motherboard. And it isn't just happening in California. DMVs across the country are selling data that drivers are required to provide to the DMV in order to obtain a license or to register a car. Now, this information includes your name, your physical address, your car registration information. So you wonder how all that stuff, all the uh, uh, phone calls and the junk mail finds its way to you after you get a driver's license or you register your car. Boom. They're selling it to you, to these companies. Thank you, DMV, for selling us all out. At least you're making a little bit of money off of it, right? Like that money is obviously going towards roads in California and making things better for the people. We can only hope. Right. I mean, that's worth the junk mail, right, Jason? That's if we trust that that money is going to where it should be going. Mm-hmm. In a public records act request, which we should do for the state of Colorado, mm-hmm. Motherboard asked the California DMV for the total dollar amounts paid by commercial requesters of data for the past six years. The document they provided showed the total revenue in financial year 2013-2014 as over $41 million, and the revenue has kept climbing every year up to $52 million for financial years 2017-2018. Wow. $52 million. And you think that uh, your information is not valuable? Well, if they're spending that much money just to get your data, imagine how much money they're spending on marketing to you once they have that data. Because they're not going to spend it if they're not going to recoup it. Exactly. Now, the document that came from the DMV didn't name the commercial requesters by name, but some specific companies appeared frequently in Motherboard's earlier investigation that looked at DMVs across the country. They included data broker LexisNexis. We use LexisNexis here Mm -hmm. to find out things. Yep. Uh, Consumer credit reporting agency Experian. Yeah, I could see that. They use uh, credit data. Uh, will They will actually use some of that information to set your credit report, and then that credit report will also be used for your insurance rates, for your car insurance, homeowner's insurance, other insurance products. Motherboard also found DMV sold information to private investigators, including those who are hired to find out if a spouse is cheating. 
What? Seriously, that is that. How, that seems wrong. How much does that cost you? And what I is the know. point of getting the information in the first place? Well, let's say your wife, your lovely, beautiful, and talented wife, yes, was cheating on you. Yes, I mean that. That is hard to imagine. I mean, because you're a catch, horrible woman. So you wanted to hire a private investigator to find that out. Yes. Well, he's going to need to know some information. And maybe he can get that from the DMV. How much does that cost for like one person, though? Are they I like cha-ching, $10,000? Or is it significantly less than that? Because you would think it would be a lot less than that, right? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. But maybe he has an account, or maybe they have some other other, other ways to get it. Mean, but how sketchy is that, right? You oh, open an sketchy. account yes. with the state, and you're just like, oh, I want this person's information. Here's a check. Mm-hmm. In an email to Motherboard, the California DMV said that the requesters may also include insurance companies, vehicle manufacturers, and prospective employers. So they're trying to find out everything about you, looking at your background. Maybe they're talking about Uber or Lyft drivers to see if you had previous uh, issues, maybe crashes or driving record issues or, or whatever. You're registering different vehicles. Uh, I, I could see them wanting that information. Mm-hmm. Asked if the sale of this data was essential to the DMV, Marty Greenstein, public information officer at the California DMV, wrote that the sale of the information furthers objectives related to highway and public safety, including availability of insurance, risk assessment, vehicle safety recalls, traffic studies, emissions research, background checks, and for pre- and existing employment purposes. There you go. So so it's for a good cause. No, it's not. Right. <laughs> it should be going to road maintenance, maybe, repairs, upkeep, mm-hmm. infrastructure. I mean, we all kind of had to know that something like this was going on, right? If it wasn't the state selling your information to all these companies, it was going to be the credit card information, the credit card companies right. selling that information, or something to that effect. So, I mean, I credit to the author and the investigators for bringing this sort of information to light when it's probably been happening for a long time in a lot of places that we don't even know about yet. Right. And I think we should look into this. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a perfect investigative story. Yeah. So they continue saying the DMV takes its obligation to protect personal information very seriously. Information is only released pursuant to legislative direction. So they're kicking the can down the road. And the DMV continues to review its release practices to ensure information is only released to authorized persons slash entities and only for authorized Purposes. Hmm. Who determines what an authorized purpose is? That's what we pay the government for, Jason. The DMV also audits requesters to ensure proper audit logs are maintained and that employees are trained in the protection of DMV information and anyone having access to this information sign a security document. Yeah, that's... Is that like an NDA? Right. You would think. I, 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 you would think that um, it would be ironclad, but I'm sure it's not. No. Nothing is ironclad when it comes to data security and people, more honestly. Multiple other DMVs around the country previously confirmed to Motherboard that they have cut off access to this data for some commercial requesters after those commercial requesters abused the data. Hmm. Oh. 
Shocking. Only after they abused it. And for how long did they abuse it? And now are they reselling it again after maybe a timeout period? Well, and what's the punishment? Why doesn't anybody know about it? What does abuse even mean? After Motherboard's earlier investigation, senators and digital privacy experts criticized the sale of DMV data, and some said the law should be changed. I agree. The law should be changed. This is something that I think we here in uh, at Denver 7 should look at. I think maybe all our other script stations in respective states. I mean, we have, what, 50 or 60 stations around the country, don't we? In Florida and Michigan and Ohio and, and Maryland. I mean, we have in California. Yep. We have stations all over the country. And it would be interesting to not only do this investigation here, but maybe a collaborative, scripts-wide investigation into this. You could be heading that up. Yes. Because you are, you know... King Poobah around here for the evening newscast. Sure. Something like that. I mean, you are one of my bosses. I have many bosses. You, yes. Many who are more important than I am. So that was the story that I wanted to have that interview about. And unfortunately, we're not going to get the interview. It was by Joseph Cox of Vice.com. Fortunately, he's not going to appear on the program. And he did on his his, uh, story... He actually had his contact information, and he also had a phone number that was registered to a app that is called Signal. And he's in Europe somewhere because it had a four. It must be in the UK because I think four four. When you start with uh, one four four, I think it's the UK. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's somewhere else in Europe. Uh, but he uses that uh, Signal app, which is kind of like WhatsApp app, without going through Facebook. It's more secure, I guess. I don't know that it's a security thing so much as a you can run it on a lot of devices that don't necessarily you have to pay for wireless you, and, it, and it's free. Yeah. Uh, it's free messaging, and they say it's encrypted, and so that's yeah. an encrypted way that people aren't spying on you with using the Signal app. And you can make phone calls. And so I was interested to, uh, and I was I was excited to have another international interview here on the show. There will be more. Maybe not. Maybe if we just uh, if I just say, all right, this is it. This I'm bagging this thing after this. After this latest, you know, put <laughs> we, down. We haven't gone on our bus tour yet, though. Oh, we do need to go on the bus tour. Come on, man. Do you recall ever seeing the movie Cannonball Run? Okay. <laughs> you should see his face. No, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he gave me the look of, oh, what are you, do- what are you serious? No. I don't watch movies. Burt Reynolds. talked about Dom this. DeLuise. I mean, do definitely you remember those ha- people? I, I know who those people are, and I can tell you I definitely have not seen a Burt Reynolds movie. Not even Smokey and the Bandit? No. North Dallas 40? No. Sir, you need to get out or stay in. Well, uh, three guys you've never heard of, because you've never heard of these people. There's other three guys that you've never heard of. Recently broke a speed record. You've heard of the Cannonball Run, though, right? Yeah. The New York to Los Angeles Cross drive, race, right? yep. Unlike most speed records and races, there's no sanctioning body or official rules for this thing. That's because setting a cannonball record invariably involves breaking multiple traffic laws. And even though it's very illegal, people still try it every single year. A couple hundred in the last couple of years. I I, I wouldn't have minded trying it, but I don't think I would have been great at it. There's no reason that you need to try it and be good at it. It's worth doing it just to say you did it, man. The Cannonball Run is one of the coolest things. Like, well, let's the, be honest here. Oh, no, I definitely think so. And the latest team succeeded in not just breaking the old record, 
that maybe many thought that would be difficult or impossible to break. They utterly destroyed it. They made the trip from New York to Los Angeles in less than 27 and a half hours. No. At least two dozen attempts no. are no yes are known to have been made by others since that last record was set in 2013. That time was about 30 hours. My God. They had one that was at 28 hours and 50 minutes. But now this new record is at 27 hours and 25 minutes. That's insane. That isn't that. What what would it take for one of us to do it? Like, what is that? What is the average layperson's time from New York to Los Angeles? I I don't know. Dial up ways. I don't know. Figure. Let's. You want to dial that up? All right. Uh, It was interesting because one of the team members, one of the drivers, he said he didn't want to just break the record by minutes. He wanted to do. He wanted to do it in such a fast time that anyone else trying it wouldn't try it because uh, this time is so ridiculously low. Now, after leaving Red, the Red Ball Garage on the east side of Manhattan at 12.57 a.m. on November 10th, it took the team 27 hours and 25 minutes to reach the Portofino Hotel in Redondo Beach, California. They took the northern route. That takes them on I-80 through Nebraska, I-76 down here to Denver, and then I-70 through Colorado, Utah, and I-15 into Los Angeles and their spider web of interstates. It's a total of 2,825 miles. They maintained an overall average speed of 103 miles an hour. On Google Maps, it says it would take you 41 hours to do that, you or I, and they did this in 27 hours and 30 minutes. Yeah. But and this 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 and this includes stops for fuel, which they managed to keep down to twenty minutes. Total. Total. <laughs> they used a souped-up all-wheel drive 2015 Mercedes-Benz E63 AMG sedan. It has 700 horsepower, obviously fast, and they had all kinds of upgraded electronics in this car. They spent hundreds of hours planning the route and preparing for what they were going to do. They used gyro-stabilized binoculars to help keep a sharp lookout for police down the road. They also used a built-in net radar radar detector, a windshield-mounted Escort Max 360 radar detector, an AL priority laser jammer system, (laughs) and an aircraft collision avoidance system so they wouldn't run into people as they were going so fast down the road. It's the same kind of system that you have in aircraft so you don't run into other airplanes uh, or helicopters while you're flying. That is remarkable. Now, the car was equipped with a brake light and tail light kill switches, so in case they came across some officers, they could kill the lights and drive in darkness. So Because there was a, a point in Illinois, I think it was, where they had an officer that, that saw them, and then they had a way to change the look of the back of the car, and there was another officer down the road that didn't even recognize that car, so they, they, that was the only instance where they came close to maybe being pulled over. They also had a police scanner and a CB radio. What a rush. The rush of not getting pulled over, my friend. There is nothing like that, especially when you're driving 140 miles an hour in the process. And for navigation and, and, and further police detection, they ran ways on an iPad, and an iPhone at the same time. Now, probably the most tricked-out thing they had 
was a thermal scope. It was on the roof. It was mounted up there on a gimbal that could be operated via a remote control for the person that was sitting in the back seat. There were three people that were doing this run. It was great for, they said, seeing deer, animals, if there was anything on the roadway with any kind of a heat signature. But it was also good for seeing any police cars sitting on the side of the road that had their engines running because he could see the heat signature of that car that was down the way. Now, the car began running a little bit poorly somewhere here in the Rockies, they said. Mm. They said it was a combination of high-altitude, low-octane gasoline that caused some of their engine issues. But they kept going, apparently. Wait, they, wait, wait. they worked it all out. They were using, like, 85-grade gasoline the whole time? They should have the, used on, the on higher, the, yeah. On the cannonball run? I know. Come on. You spent the money on a scope <laughs> that you operate via a camera in the car. You were running ways on two separate devices. Why are you paying for 85 gas? What really made the difference between the previous record runs and their run was the human component. And this is where you are going to win this race. The team had a lot of help from their extensive network of car nerd friends and business associates. In all, they managed to wrestle up 18 lookouts along the run. And these 18 lookouts would drive the route before the car would get there. They would drive ahead of them just to scout the road ahead for... Any police activity, any hazards on the roadway, any traffic, any weather, all those type of issues that they might come across, and that's the best way for them to get the information was from these scouts that were driving ahead. And and the team did say there were plenty of police along the journey, but somehow none of them pulled over that fast-moving Mercedes. To date, nobody's been killed or seriously injured doing the cannonball run, or setting any cross-country records in the U.S., but really, I I would expect, if you're driving at such high speeds, the potential for injury and death are there, obviously. Truckers usually resent people going that fast on the roadways. I resent it, too. But, my God, if you saw that Mercedes go, would you even see that Mercedes going by you? If if you're just taking your kids to soccer practice or something like that? No. No. I mean, there were, at points, they said they, they reached, I think it was a maximum of 180 miles an hour. That's what I'm saying. On like, some uh, yeah. open roads out there. See you later. Yeah. I mean, when you're going that fast and you are inevitably going to be passing cars and trucks and, and it, it, it's a blur. Folks, this is why you need to stay out of the left lane. Let's be honest here. That Just don't be in the left lane because of things like this. You never know when the cannonball run is happening. I mean, seriously, that's that's crazy yeah. to, to see. When you, when you see somebody, when I was driving out to Kansas and back for our baton competitions, I, I'm, I'm on average driving 80 miles an hour, maybe you know a little touch ahead of that. And here comes somebody going 90 or 95. And it, it is yep. and it is a little bit freak because you're already going that fast, and it's a little freaky. Now, th- th- that kind of a Mercedes – is designed to go fast, but seriously, it, it's it's scary when you're driving that fast because at any moment, disaster could strike and then you're done. It's true. I mean, you but you know the roads where they're doing 180 on versus the roads where they're doing like a buck ten. Oh yeah, and it's more manageable because if they're averaging 103 the entire time, you, you know you factor in a whole bunch of time for getting off the interstate and things like that where their speed is more like 60 or 30 or things like that. But, you know, they'll spend quite a bit of time in the hundreds, too. We're hovering right around that average range. The less dangerous 105 miles an hour. Right. The fastest I've ever gone is 120. Mm. The fastest I've ever gone is the speed limit. 
uh-huh. Right. Well, maybe it is because you're an excellent driver. I am the best driver. Now, before we go, I want to uh, check in with the voicemail. Don't know why you called me. Thought you were going to give me a million bucks. So long. Uh, I think he's confused. We didn't call him. Maybe we did. Uh, that's not how our voicemail system works. Well, you, you you dial when you when you when you want to get, get get leave us a message. You dial three zero three eight three two zero two one seven, and then you leave us a message. You hear the message uh, that tells you to leave a message, and then you leave a message. That number doesn't call you to then leave a message. I I, I mean I can't. He was calling you back, man. You called. You didn't leave a message. He called you back. He thought you were going to give him a million dollars, and you're not. I I never called that man. He never I- introduced himself. He should have. He sounds like he's a. He's not a Mortimer. He's more of a. <laughs> Maybe a Mortimer. He might not even a text. He's more of a Hank. No, he's not a Hank. Your bud? No. No, Rex. He's like a. He's Liam. like a Rex. He's a Ted. A an, Liam. An Oliver. He is not an Oliver. He is absolutely. There is an no Oliver. way. Honestly, Ted, Teddy, Tedward, Theodore. Let me play it again for you. Don't know why you called me. Thought you were going to give me a million bucks. So long. Obviously, he's an older gentleman. Obviously. A Rodney? Rodney. He could be a Rodney. He's definitely a Rodney. Rodney, Rodney, and we're sorry we disappointed you, man. Uh, maybe a Gary. Maybe you're sorry you disappointed him. I, I am. I'm very sorry that I disappointed him, that I didn't give him a million bucks. I'm, you know, I'm not uh, whoever it is now giving the publisher's clearinghouse money away. <laughs> it's still Ed McMahon. Oh, is it? I'm sh- I, I don't I thought, know. No, I'm just dead. guessing. No, the weekend at Bernie's in. Ed- oh, yeah, right. Yeah. By the way, there's a great book about uh, the Tonight Show with Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson by Ed. It's really good. Okay. Uh, by the way, that that uh, that number, if you do want to leave a a message about that message or about us, 303-832-0217. You can leave a better message than him. How about that? A contest to leave a better message than that guy. We have set the bar as low as possible. Let's see if you can limbo yourselves underneath it. Give it a shot and try. That's all I got for this episode. Unless you have some uh, things driving you crazy. Shabab shabang. No, just Denver City traffic, man. Why can't we clear the streets? Oh, that was a whole nother debacle. Mm-hmm. I got into it with uh, former former anchor Teresa Marchetta, who now works over at the city uh, a little bit. Because, you know, I've been hammering the city. On Tuesday, we got a pretty good snowfall. Um, almost a foot, maybe eight inches here in, in town. I got a foot at my house. And uh, they did a... I'm going to say they did a poor job overall clearing the snow. And then that was on the day of the snow. Not just Denver. Let's be clear. Oh, no. Lakewood and Aurora and all the other cities didn't didn't do great. Go on. But specifically the city of Denver. Then when I was coming in on Wednesday and Thursday, there was still snow cover on the major roads, Broadway, Lincoln Street, major Colfax, major roadways that are supposed to be snow routes, like a hurricane evacuation route. They're supposed to be cleared. Several days later, they were not. Now, I can understand the side roads, the neighborhood roads, being more snow-covered and icy, and, 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 be, and they were going to stay slick over another couple of days. 
But they should have had the main roads completely clear and dry after the, the storm was on Tuesday. They should have had it cleared by, by at least Thursday. Friday at the latest. And when I went down to light the building over there at uh, Union Station, it was awful. Horrible conditions in downtown Denver. People were slipping and sliding all over the place. Off-roading is what we were describing it as, out in the old Lakewood. It was, yeah. Lakewood was bad. Aurora was bad. What? All these cities, but I, I don't know why they didn't go out there. And then, the, the other Monday, I'm hammering them still on TV, and then they send out their residential plows, or they said they're going to put down some de-icer to break up the ice and snow after public comment and, and public uh, uh, complaints. Why should the public have to complain to the point where then you do something? Shouldn't you do something proactively shouldn't you want your streets to be clear shouldn't you want your precious bike lanes to be clear nobody could use the bike lanes you still can't use a bike lane can you yeah man it's really tough to defend the city response (laughs) like let's be honest because you can't use anything i mean there there's ice or you can now probably because the sun has been out for two days right but what the mayor said yesterday i thought was really accurate it was a unique storm we didn't see sun for days. We didn't get above freezing for days. But even though there you w- don't get above freezing, you could still start clearing some of the roadways. The reaction, I think, was poor. And that that's partially probably because it was a holiday weekend. But, yes, you need to pivot and say, okay, yeah. you know, we have to clear the residential streets a little bit earlier than, you know, six days after the storm. Exactly. And yeah, but listen, right. the policy works in most instances. I think that gets lost in all this that like usually it makes sense to really hammer the main streets and do the one pass on the side streets sure. and you're good to go. But this storm because we that works because we're used to Denver where it co- the sun comes out, it melts everything, the temperatures come up and we get a lot of that melt. And we and never that's got what the they melt were counting this time. on. Exactly. They were waiting for mother nature to do the plowing when then they should have done the plowing. Well, mother nature so often does the plowing that it makes that the right strategy to approach, right? Because if you go the other route, you're throwing the residential plows out there every single time when the stuff melts in 30 30 hours, not even. Well, anyway. So anyway, I'm sorry I'm defending the city because, yes, it was a mess. Like, well, so it was it Teresa, was who used to work here and now works over there at the city, and uh, it took umbrage with my characterization of how the city streets were. I, I have a little sympathy for her just because, man, they were getting beat up from everybody. And they should have. They should have been beat up. Everybody was Because they should have been proactive about it. You know what? I haven't heard anything if, if anybody's running that new uh, transportation department over there for the city of Denver. We are still available for uh, cons- consultation. <laughs> Not that that's going to happen, but we are still available. What would they do with your resume once they saw it? <laughs> I'll laugh and then throw it in the trash. Circular file. It would be yes, one sir. of those. Be one of those. Exactly just like that. <laughs> just like that. Yes, just sir. like you should do with this podcast. Yes. Yes, sir. Just Good. like uh, Vice.com did with our podcast. Hanging it up. Because apparently, you know, we're not good enough for Vice.com. Anyway, thanks again for listening. We'll see if we're here next week. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like doing this. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, detective traffic guy. I'm canceled Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. (laughs)